This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi Jinx with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, my guest is Johnny Sibley, who you'll know from the show Hacks, from the new Queer as Folk, and plenty other wonderful roles that he's played recently, um, as well as his online presence. He is such a lovely human being. He's a wonderful advocate for our community, and we have a great conversation about the importance of representation in mainstream media. But don't worry, it's not all bogged down with like technical terms and and uh, me being on a soapbox the whole time. <laughs> we actually just have a wonderful, free, and lovely conversation about uh, where our community has come from and where it's going. And I'm very excited for you to hear it today. So buckle up, hunker down, sink your teeth in, uh, strap on, <laughs> strap in, whatever you got to do to get ready for this episode you do it right now and let's have some more brand new hijinks m oh m mom Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by actor, producer, and advocate, Johnny Sibley. Hi, Johnny. Hi, Jinx. <laughs> did I say your Did I say your last name correctly, Sibley? You, you did. You did. Yeah. And it's, all those nice things. I'm like, oh, <laughs> fa- fascinating. Okay. <laughs> Sibley is one of those last names where even when you're saying it correctly, it feels like you're saying it wrong. <laughs> That's how I always feel saying Aguilera. Even though, like, in Spanish, it's Aguilera. But, and Sibley phonetically is pronounced Sibili, so that uh-huh. wouldn't be wrong either. I just don't like it that way. <laughs> Sibili. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a, like a children's nursery rhyme or something. <laughs> um, Sibili, where does, is, is, is that, what's the origin for Sibili? It's French. French. Uh, okay. Yes. <laughs> so when the Dominican Republic was colonized uh, by multiple countries, Boo! I think <laughs> France was one of them. So that's where my my people get their name from. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, we we love learning new things on hijinks. <laughs> and Johnny, where does that come from? <laughs> you know, it's so funny because my 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 background is like Cuban and Dominican, but Johnny feels like a very American name. Yeah. So my dad is also named Johnny. So some at some point in the '60s, my grandparents were like, 
the name Johnny is actually great for us, but they say it Yanni. So it's just very, <laughs> just weird. Johnny is a very verse name. Like Johnny can go lots of different ways. And if you decide to start going by John at some point, like Big Papa John. or yeah. <laughs> Oh, wait, My no, gosh. we don't like Papa John's. No. We don't like Papa John's. <laughs> Just put that out there. We're not. No, what's funny, I people always ask me, like, what's your real name? Like, John or Jonathan? I'm like, no, it, it's Johnny on the birth certificate. Yeah. Um, and on the, on the flip side of that coin, I'm always like, when someone's like, oh, my name's Johnny, I'm like, is it really? You know what I mean? <laughs> I've, yeah, I have a handful of friends who's, um, who's, given name on their birth certificate is like the abbreviation of another name. And my yeah. husband's middle name, his name is Michael John, and his middle name isn't Jonathan. It's John. It's just John. <laughs> Michael John. <laughs> Michael John, yeah. Was he in the Bible? It sounds like a biblical... <laughs> Uh, I, I I don't keep track of the Bible names, although my mom did follow that rule. My mom, having gone to Catholic school um, for her upbringing, she was adamant of having all of her um, kids have Bible names. Mm. My given name, Jarek, is actually... I think from the Torah, not the Bible, my mom found a loophole. <laughs> <laughs> Another ancient book. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I was going to be named Jeremiah, but when um, my mom and I both almost died during childbirth, um, and she decided to, to change the plan for my name and found something a little bit more significant to the situation. Speaking of which, we both almost died during childbirth. Um, hey, everybody, pregnancy can be very dangerous for certain people, and that's another reason why we advocate for choice. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, I'm sorry, it's still so fresh, transition. it just no, happened. <laughs> I, I, I love that, uh, that segue. I think it's important as well, <laughs> and it's true. I mean, also, Jarek, I feel, I don't know your relationship to your own name, but I feel like it's a pretty badass name. I hated it as a kid. <laughs> I absolutely hated it, and it was so silly. The reason I hated it is that, you know, in elementary school, your teachers, our teachers would read books to us. And anytime there was a character in the book who had the same name as someone in our class, the whole class would go, oh, yeah, you know, and that never happened for me. And even though I was a painfully shy child, I still, you know, I had Jinx inside of me. She was brewing. So I hated that the attention was never on me. It was (laughs) that dichotomy of being shy, but also wanting everyone to talk about me. (laughs) Yeah. You want to be seen. You know, it's like, I was very shy too, but I also like, it's because I didn't like the attention that I was getting. It's, I never got the attention that I wanted and I deserved. That is a very important distinction because I I had never even thought about it that way because yeah, yeah the attention I was getting was, you know, I was the the effeminate 
kid that didn't fit in. Yeah. But I knew that I had other facets to me. And it kind of makes me think, like, I started singing at a very, very early age. And my whole life, I love singing if it's my choice to sing. But when people try to goad a song out of me, it nothing makes me, like, clam up more than when everyone, like, turns to me and goes, sing, sing, sing. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. People are like, oh, you're you're an actor? Act something out for me. I'm like, first of all, <laughs> Do how a dare you? Skit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, how dare you think I'm, you know, uh, are you going to pay me? You know, that's, but it's funny you say that because me as a kid, I was always really rambunctious and loud and excited. And, you know, until I got to school. And then when I got to school, I was like quiet because I, I was seen for ways that I did not want to be seen. Whereas like yeah. before I went to school, I didn't care because no one had ever told me it was wrong well my parents did sometimes but (laughs) (laughs) But it's this distinction between the spaces we feel comfortable to be ourselves and the spaces we're being discouraged to be ourselves because i i think it was very similar you know at my grandma's house i'd be you know wrapping blankets around me, making dresses out of blankets, putting on concerts in my living room. And then at school, I could, you know, I barely spoke. Or if I did, it was, I I had a lot of like one-on-one friendships. You know, I had the one person I felt safe being myself with. Um, I was kind of, my elementary school experience was, um, I was best friends with like the popular guy, Mick, who got along with every one mm. and so I was very much the millhouse to his Bart Simpson <laughs> <laughs> and then we parted ways in middle school and that's when I became friends with all my Mormon friends I started LARPing and then coming out was just like a a, a step away from <laughs> LARPing oh my god when it, when you talked about LARPing on Drag Race I was like <laughs> I, first of all, I was laughing because I you were having such a good time talking about it. And then I like quickly Googled like what LARPing was. And I was like, that sounds like the most fun in the world as a kid. Like, it was, <laughs> I mean, it was like, you know, I'm kind I'm so glad that the other uh, kids at our middle school didn't know that that's what we were doing <laughs> on the weekends. But when you find a group of people who feel comfortable being that big of a dork, <laughs> and like for someone like me who had yet to discover drag, but like LARPing was the stepping stone to drag yeah. for me, because uh, I started drag at a very early age, but LARPing happened just a few years before that. <laughs> it was so amazing to meet a group of people who were comfortable comfortable enough in themselves to do something so extremely nerdy. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't even know what Mormons were, but I knew I had found a group of friends <laughs> who were totally like they as for Mormons, for, you know, what we know about Mormons, they they really embraced me. They didn't give a shit that I was queer. I think there was only one comment ever about it. And it was kind of like, I wonder what the neighbors will think when we have Jarek over today. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but 100%. otherwise the Mormons were great to me. So <laughs> Yeah. My um. my my version of LARPing was forcing my sister and her friends to play Spice Girls on the oh. remember Spice World, like the movie, and they had like the uh-huh. bus. So yeah. I knew that I couldn't be a Spice Girl because that would be too like spicy. So I like 
assigned everyone a different spice. And then I was like, I'll be the manager. because I needed to be in charge all the time. And wasn't like, wasn't that Alan coming in the film? <laughs> so, I think so. I think so. It's those clues. <laughs> but that was my, and, and like writing, I remember I was in, what was it? Like fifth grade. And I wrote a play. I used to go to the boys and girls club um, of America. And I used to, I wrote this, uh, play called the color black because I knew the only way that the center was going to allow me to put on a play was if it had a message in it. And the message Mm -hmm. was don't do drugs. So I wrote it. (laughs) I copied, it's all like, I, I did, um, copies and it was like all in my handwriting and I passed it out to my friends. And I'm like, I was very like Rachel Berry, Leah Michelle and Glee, like, okay, we're going to put on a show. We're going to charge 10 cents a head. And everyone's like, uh, okay. And <laughs> it was great. We had a pizza party with the with the money, but that was the kind of thing that I was. That I mean, that makes perfect sense for where you are now in life. May I ask, how old are you, Johnny? Thirty-four. We're the same age. Yeah. Um, so this this is perfect for what I wanted to talk about. But us being the same age means that you and I probably i don't know what media you had access to as a young person but we are of the same generation meaning um as young people there was such limited um queer representation in mainstream media or in media period um i must have checked out you know i must have rented every independent queer film from <laughs> hollywood video <laughs> and there weren't many a lot of them were very poorly done as in they didn't have the financial backing to be the movie they wanted to be or if they were if they were a well produced film then it was all straight actors trying to get that oscar nomination <laughs> you know by doing the most uh, courageous thing a straight male actor can do, which is portray (laughs) a queer person. Um, So for me growing up, like uh, we had Will and Grace and we had Queer as Folk, and that was about it. And I think it's so significant um, that Queer as Folk is being redone at this time and mm. that um, now all of the performers portraying the characters, unless I'm mistaken, um, all the people I follow on Instagram <laughs> <laughs> who are in the new Queer as Folk are queer people. So this is a very significant um, reboot. Yeah. And I'd like to um, ask you, like, what was your experience with the original Queer as Folk? Did you ever watch the British queer was it british or canadian no it was all it was british yeah Yeah. and then the american one was actually shot in canada right (laughs) um what was your experience with the original queerest folk and what does it mean to you to be in the new queerest folk oh gosh i well my my original entry point to queerest folk was like a lot of people our age and even younger like i think i was at my like aunt's house or someone with cable um, and I knew like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I, I was one of those kids that would like also close myself into rooms to be alone. I'm also like that as an adult uh, a lot of times. But <laughs> but I remember just going through the channels and all of a sudden I stopped on this channel that had two guys like going at it. Um, and I was like, like shaking because I was like so excited to be seeing this, but also so scared that someone was going to walk in. So I had like my finger on the button, like, you know, the things you do as a young queer kid to like, still get away with it, but also be, you know, 
Um, Anyway, so (laughs) I I remember watching it and being so excited, like, because I was seeing how I felt portrayed. Um, I mean, these people didn't look like me and they didn't look like the people I was around or my family or anything like that. But it was the first time that I saw something, uh, you know, and it wasn't even celebratory. It just felt like it felt like I was watching porn, to be quite honest, because I had also... You know, when you have the cable box, you also get the other channels. (laughs) So it was very similar. So I didn't know how to like, um, like, you know, compartmentalize those things. Mm -hmm. But flash forward to hearing that they were going to do a reboot or reimagining. I was like, and, you know, I had already been on um, Pose. So I was like, oh, um, they're they're redoing this. Um, And, you know. Maybe I'll have a chance. And this was before there was even conversations about maybe making it more diverse or, you know, changing up the gender identities and things like that. So I just was, I text my team, which is the same thing I did when I auditioned for Pose. And I was like, I have to be a part of this somehow, some way. Um, Because for me, anytime like an audition comes across to play a gay character, I get so excited. Mm -hmm. Even, Even the ones that are like, Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's just exciting because I, I, I want to play us. I want to play queer people um, because I remember growing up wanting that so badly. Um, so when I got the job, I was like, I don't know. It was so surreal because it was like, you think things are going to happen for you. And then you also realize that sometimes it feels like delusional. Like, you know, as artists, we're always told like, oh, you know, you have the feeling of what you can do and then you're presented with what society thinks you can do. And sometimes those things match up and sometimes they don't. Um, So it just, it really does mean the world to be a part of this, especially this kind of version. Yeah. And something you um, mentioned that I think is significant is even the roles that are like, Um, (laughs) I sometimes I see those roles and I'm like, just as long as it gets in the hands of someone capable, you know, like yeah. even when the role is written poorly, when I know that it's like in the hands of a queer performer who can take a poorly written role and turn it into something still, um, you know, worth putting out into the world, then totally. I mean, like even the poorly written roles, it's like there's countless poorly written straight roles. Like I'm glad <laughs> we are now getting to the point where there is enough queer representation that not all of it is good. You know? Yeah, and we deserve we deserve that. Like. We deserve mediocrity, just like, you know, our straight counterparts. And, you know, I, I, I'm also like, you know, the, 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 the like ascendance to whatever it is that you actually want to do, what, what drives your passion is not linear. So sometimes you do do stuff that isn't, you know, like I did so many, when I first started acting, I did so many discovery idea reenactment shows that (laughs) I was like, just so excited (laughs) to be a part of it because it was part of like the journey of getting more credits and doing more things. Um, But I also thought it was fierce to just be on TV acting like, you know, I I think I played a cop once and, you know, (laughs) it was just exciting to be a part of because, you know, you want to work. I'm sure there's a um, big portion of your fan base that's going to go looking for you in that cop outfit now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Me, like, with a, with a, I'm like, how, how many SVUs have I seen to get this right? <laughs> SVU, there was a summer where we just watched SVU 
like just constantly in Provincetown. Mm. Um, oh. It was just our background noise, SVU, constantly. But then it really started to warp my perception <laughs> of the world because then I'd be out like, you know, during the day uh, running my errands in Provincetown and a little kid would be throwing a fit like with their parents and I'd be like, something's not right. <laughs> <laughs> That little kid's crying for help. Um, then you're, you're just you're just hoping that the detectives come to you. And you're like, well, I just I saw him playing, and you know he fell, and oh my god. I... Well, Detective Hargitay. Um... <laughs> You know, Queer as Folk was so significant to me, and I, I think I had a, a, a similar experience where um, I was check, I was renting it from Hollywood Video, <laughs> and my mom was suspicious of it, and she would sometimes, oh my gosh, this was my relationship with my mom, is she would be listening at the door, and then when a sex scene would come on, she'd bust into my room and be like, I knew it! I knew you only liked the show because it's basically porn. And I'm like, Mom, it's a lot more than the sex scenes, okay? The sex scenes are a small part of the show. And I really fought for my right, you know, like I was like 14 or 15. And my mom had never censored what I watched until yeah. I started watching like really queer stuff. And then she was afraid of mm -hmm. like... um you know, I don't know what she was afraid of because she let me watch any horror movie I wanted and there's so much graphic nudity in horror movies. Oh, totally. You know, and and besides the gore, no problem with the like senseless murders. But as yep. soon as I started watching something that seemed like gay porn, she, <laughs> sirens yeah. were going off for her. But... um. <laughs> anyway, we worked through it. I was allowed to watch Queer as Folk. Um, and it may, you know, like, I remember when I found out that most of the actors on Queer as Folk were straight. And then I, I was like, I was kind of disappointed, but I was so relieved to find out that Peter Page, who played Emmett, which was the character I um, resonated with the most. Yeah. Peter Page was one of the queer actors on the show. And then mm. once again in Provincetown, Peter was there on vacation and we got to get lunch together. And it was just such a, it was such a like self-realization moment of being yeah. able to sit down. We had turkey burgers uh, oh. <laughs> and um, we just got to talk about, you know, being advocates and, and, and visibly queer people in the media. And yeah. it's, I think, you know, it's just, I didn't used to know how significant it was to see ourselves represented in media because I was just so used to it not being that way. So I took whatever crumbs I could get and I was thankful for it. Now I'm like, now I'm 34 and if a TV show or movie doesn't have even one queer character in it. Like, why I'm like, am I watching this? <laughs> it's like, why am I watching this? It's like, who are you kidding? It's like, um, what's wrong with you? What are you afraid of? Like, yeah. and then when you watch something where a character clearly seems queer, but then they like hammer in a straight plot line for that character. So, you know, they're actually straight. It's like, yeah. what are you afraid of? Like, yeah. and, and now it's become so commonplace that sometimes when I'm like, um, 
you know, when there is a queer character, even if they're like a supporting character or just like a, an, uh, you know, like just a stock character, when I see queer characters, I'm like, um, sometimes I'm still kind of even shocked. Like, this character's on a date with a with another woman, and mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my god, she like I still kind of freak out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even though the show itself is like playing it down like, oh, it's no big thing. You know, like I'm yeah. still kind of like, another another one. Like I'm keeping a tally <laughs> totally. next to my TV. That, I had that I that um my my best friend Tracy said she's in uh she was in a show called Transparent. And I remember mm-hmm. I started watching the show and I was so excited because it was a show about trans people and you know I got to see her on it. But I I remember like I think it was like season two and I kept thinking, why are we so focused on this family? We have these trans characters. Why don't we follow them a little bit? Like that mm-hmm. happens in TV shows. Like you move on to different characters. Why aren't we following them? The, it's so funny because they'd come in, they'd say some lines. Um, you know, Trace would say a, a few lines, and I just kept wanting to be like. And it's not because she's my friend. It's just like that character. I was like, I want to know who, what she does at home. I want to what yeah. know like who she goes to have lunch with. And you know, but it's it's interesting. Like they give us just enough for us to be like, oh, I want to keep watching. Mm-hmm. But not enough to be like, oh, this is changing the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I feel like, you know, um, media, mainstream media especially, it's like there's these building blocks, you know? Like, um, it's funny because my younger friends, um, they see Will and Grace and they're like, this is this is ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. especially the old school Will and Grace, and so there have been times where it's like me and my housemate are watching Will and Grace, and then um one uh, one of our friends will come over who's like um twenty four, and they'll watch it and be like, what? It, they think it's like vaudeville. They think it's like, yeah. <laughs> and it is. It's kind of like yeah, slapstick, yeah. <laughs> you know, borscht belt humor, and they they like their brain can't even like process old school Will and Grace. Right. And they'll start like reading it and we'll be like, no, not our will and grace. This was all we had when we <laughs> not were our your stories. Age. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, so it's funny, you know, like I can see what's like I can see what's flawed with old school will and grace, but because it was all we had, I'm still very protective of it. Yeah. And, and so, that's the thing, like, even when talking about queer as folk, people are like, you know, sometimes people will be like, oh, but it wasn't, it didn't represent, it did. I'm like, you have to understand, like, that show came out at a time where the rest of society wasn't at the place that mm-hmm. it should have been. So why would you think that this, and, and queer as folk at, 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 its, at its time was not trying to teach the ABCs to straight people of what, you know, this is douching. We douche. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you know, there's always an episode that like teaches you a little something. And don't get me wrong, that's important. But but Queer's Folk was never doing that. Queer's Folk was never, uh, you know, assimilating to what they thought que- um, straight audiences wanted to see from us. It was just like, this is a view into what who we are. Um, and I think that was really revolutionary and important. So, of course, when people are like, oh, it wasn't diverse, it didn't have, you know, people of different identities, I'm like, I, I absolutely understand that. And hopefully we're in a place now that we can do that. But I would say it's more of a reflection of the time that we lived in rather than, like, the show itself. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. And like we've talked about, um, you know, there's, I mean, shows from 20, 30 years ago, no matter what the show <laughs> was, they're all flawed. They're all like, yeah. I, I, you know, I love our community for the fact that it, our community holds itself up to extremely high standards. Yeah. And so that's why we have the conversations of diversity and, and showing the real story and the responsibility that queer media has. Um, but I, I wish, I, I wish that we would can, uh, like, let's also make room for <laughs> like, not everything is perfect. Every, right. not everything can be everything all at once, you right. know? So yes, these older shows are flawed and they're not perfect, but they are the stepping stones to get us to where we are today. Because unfortunately we didn't, we don't get to go from zero to 60 when our media is like mainstream media is built and focused on the white straight cis experience. Mm -hmm. So to get it to diverge, it took years. It took yeah. years of advocates and people demanding more representation and people working towards it and taking these little steps so that we could get here yeah. um, to where we are now. So it's, um, and we still have so far to go, you know? Totally. So I just hope that we we leave room for the flawed uh, queer representations of the past yeah. in, in, in like appreciation that it helped us get to where we are and um, put us on the path to where we need to keep going. Yeah, um, even today, like I even today, I hear critiques about certain shows, uh, our show, um, Pose, and I was and, you know, oftentimes very valid critiques mm -hmm. but it i do like hope sometimes that the queer community understands the distinction between critiquing and bashing a queer media mm -hmm. because we are still on the path of getting more shows greenlit we are on the path of getting more movies made and the only way we can do that is by supporting the content that is out there mm -hmm. um because everything's flawed. I mean, all of the cis heterosexual media you see is, you know, there's flaws to it too. But yeah. you're right that the queer community does hold ourselves to a different standard, but that's also because there's a lot less to look at. Um, so I, I do hope there's that duality of like, yeah, we should be able to critique our art because that's the only way we get better. And also people in the 80s and 70s and 60s, queer people back then were, were rough when it came to yeah. critiquing art. You know, and we lost a lot of those people. But I do hope that people will also know when to say what and how to say what. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because, yeah, if if the producers get the sense that no one wants this, yeah, they'll stop making it. Right. And so it is very much like, you know, it's just kind of like in general. Mm -hmm. I, I feel I, I feel two two things can be true. I want the queer community to hold itself up to these high standards. I want the queer community to make those critiques so that we're moving towards progress, you know? But I also hope that we can leave space for our representation, <laughs> even if it's not perfect, so right. that we get more of it. Because what I'm constantly saying is what we need is more, 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 more. Yeah. Um, you know, like, we want Drag Race to be so many things, but it can yeah. only be so many things. And right. I don't think the 
answer is asking more and more of Drag Race because it's going to reach this point where it's like, <laughs> it can't be everything. Right. I, of course, want more representation. I want more um, visibility on Drag Race for all the different drag artists yeah. um, who exist in the drag community. But also, I just want more programming like it. You know, that's why I love Legendary. It's like... Yeah. It's not drag race. It's something different, but it's more mm. representation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we just need more, more, more. And if we, more, 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 <laughs> if we're gonna get more, 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 it means it, it means that we have to support what is out there to an extent. You know, like yeah, if you yeah. don't like it, if you don't want to watch it, don't watch it. But watch if you it, right. if you make it your mission to um, <laughs> to bash yeah. it, then yeah. it's um, and sometimes and I don't even know if we'll keep this in the episode because I don't <laughs> want like pitchforks. But sometimes I think that it's easier for people in the queer community to critique other people in the queer community. Mm. It's easier and safer to do that than to go out bashing our real mm. oppressors and our real enemies because that attracts the attention of the fucking conservative trolls on the internet. Right. And those people are so toxic that once they catch your scent, it's like then they won't leave you alone. So I wonder yeah. if sometimes it's easier to critique our own stuff because it's safer than it is to critique the actual people out there who are causing all the problems for yeah. us because we don't want to we don't want to welcome in the energy of those supporters. Yeah. Um so you know, I think there's room for all of it. Keep holding us to a high standard, keep critiquing but remember that this is this is huge that we even have so much work to critique. It's huge mm -hmm. that we even have so many different shows. So maybe keep your critiques indoors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like go off on the group chat, like by exactly. all means. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I do, I do like it's funny. I remember one time there was someone that critiqued, um, was it Queer Eye or something? And like it had just come out. It had, like people are like, this isn't the queer eye I know. Um, <laughs> da, da, da. And I'm just like, I'm like, girl, like, you know, and, and I have friends of mine are on the show and they, they like read this stuff. And I'm like, they're still like, they're like, oh, they're not read. They're famous. I'm like, they're, it's not, there's not like this thing where you like catapult into fame. And then all of a sudden, like you stop. Well, some people, <laughs> <laughs> some people, some people have one episode of a fucking American Idol and then they're gone. <laughs> they're like, what? Normal people? I don't understand. Um, but you know, sometimes it seeps through and like, I always know that, like, for me, the people I want to make most proud are people that are from my community, like, the people that are yeah. like me. So, but I also, like, have, I feel like I've been around long enough to know, like, when something is directed at what I do or who I am and when someone's projecting something that they need to heal through, yeah. um, which, you know, takes some time. And I'm sure you understand <laughs> from the Drag Race fandom, it's, woo! Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's uh, that's the tricky part of reality TV is, you know, with scripted TV, it's really easy to critique a character, yeah. a script, uh, a storyline. Um, but with reality TV, there's no way to critique it where it doesn't feel like you're critiquing the human being, you know? Totally. Like, you can't read an outfit without, like, implying that the human being who chose <laughs> to wore that outfit is somehow yeah. deranged or... <laughs> 
<laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I wish, I, I wish moving forward that people would remember that reality TV means those people are real. Um, right. I think that's what we're always trying to remind the fan base is like, <laughs> hey, hello, <yeah. laughs> there's a human being here. Um, but I, I, I've definitely, you know, like had to learn how to separate myself from the jinx on TV because yeah. otherwise, why would I have gone back for another <laughs> <laughs> yeah i will say that um watching you for me feels it reminds me of what it feels like to have fun in what you do like <laughs> you are one of those people that i watch and i'm like i always remember i'm so excited to watch jinx because jinx is always having fun whether it's in a confessional or you know what i mean it's just you feel like you're really enjoying yourself and that's such a joy to watch well, I've gotten good at making sure that what I project is the part of me that's having fun. But if you saw me pacing around my hotel room, if you yeah. saw me like bashing my head against the pillows because I'm like, I don't know what to do next. <laughs> like, yeah. um, there's a duality to it. But thank you, Johnny. Of course. That would be um, a docu-series. <laughs> that's like one of those docu-series you see that, that like a famous person has. And it's like a close-up on like the remote. And then they're just like there, there's a close-up of them having a headache. I would, <laughs> I would watch that too. I also want to talk to you. Now, you play a smaller role on this other show, but this show is so damn good that mm. I can't not talk to you about it. Um, Hacks. Brilliant. It's so, and you know what I love about, you know, like, um, you're, you're a smaller role on Hacks, but I love that you have carved out this place for yourself where it's like, we need a hunky. Um, <laughs> we need someone who, who's a good actor, who is queer and hunky and just can take the part and just make it work. Let's get Johnny Sibley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, uh, did you uh, tell me about hacks? Because I just absolutely love this show. I know yeah. it's about a straight female comedian, but I feel seen by Gene oh, Smart's my, me character. Too. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of growing up and watching things like First Wives Club uh -huh, and like uh -huh. like really those like powerful uh, female figures that like there's like opulence, the the caftans and the things and the the house. It just was mm -hmm. like. I, when I read the script, I didn't think about any of that. I was like, oh, Jean Smart, she's iconic. Like, anything that she has her name on, I want to be part of. And I remember getting to set, and Paul Downs like, came up to me. He's like, thank you so much for doing this. I'm like, excuse me? Thank, thank you for giving me a job. Like, you know, it's just the way that he... And I don't know if that's just the way he, like, talks to actors, but I felt like they wanted me there. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not always how you feel in these... <laughs> In these auditions or these parts, like I've worked, I've definitely worked on shows where they're like, okay, you're, yeah, you're over here. And I'm like, and I'm just like, you know, the good theater boy, like, yes, uh -huh, hitting my marks. Um, <laughs> but it was one of those things, it was during pandemic, we shot the first season. And I remember we were just so excited to just like be somewhere other than our homes mm -hmm. and, you know, <clears throat> meeting Gene Smart and just like, it was just a, a real affirmation of what it means for me like being in this industry that like you can be kind and good at your job and also 
really successful. Um, so being a part of a show like that, and it's funny because I had done background extra work on Broad City when I lived in New York. And then this was also by the same um, writers that did Broad City. So it was like a full circle moment where I was like, wow, I really, you know, stepped into it. But also the Hacks family, like Meg Stalter, Hannah Einbinder, Poppy, Mark, we're all, it's one of those things where I usually don't have gay friendships that aren't a little bit sassy or a little bit catty. There is just so much love and support, like truly at all times that I am always, I'm always like, is this real? Like, is this you know, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just so Where you weird. can't believe the the positivity. Yeah, I, I get that all the time. It's like, my, it's the part of me that believes I'm always like a step away from being carried. You know, like um, when I, when I won Drag Race, I'm not yeah. kidding. Like it, it wasn't until I like went home with the crown that I was like, okay, it wasn't all a carry. I thought they were going to just, I thought the bucket of pig's blood was just right yeah. around the corner. They're all going to laugh at you. Yeah. <laughs> I totally, yeah. you, you mentioned some of the cast members, but first of all, I don't presume Paul Downs is um, sexuality, but if he isn't, if he's a straight man, what a great straight ally because his work on, um, Broad City was so great, and then yeah. he's created this show. Um, there's queer representation in this show. Um, I cannot tell you how much my my comedy writing partner, Nick Sahoya, who mm-hmm. has written with me for like a decade now, um, he told me to watch this show because Gene Smart and um, Hannah Einbinder are us. <laughs> <laughs> And what I love most about um, Gene Smart's character is, yes, the opulence, yes, the like the drag of it all. But Mm -hmm. then uh, what I think always resonates with um, queer people and especially drag queens, it's what we're drawn to, is the the facade of opulence. But then Mm. the 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 tragedy and the heartache that kind of beats underneath all of that, like reminding you that there's this there's this. beautiful, flawed, tragic human being that puts on this facade for everyone else. You know, drag right. queens are addicted to <laughs> Oh, yeah. Persona. I mean, that's that's so inherently queer. Like, even, like, when I, when I mentioned First Wives Club and Hacks, like, these strong women are, are incredibly strong and capable, but behind closed doors, they're so... Um, but not even behind closed doors, but they're underappreciated, undervalued, mm-hmm. not seen for their true worth, you know, always disenfranchised. Having to prove, yeah. Yes. <laughs> always having to try and prove their worth in this world. So it's like, it is, you know, a straight woman's story, but it is so inherently queer to feel exactly that way. And I think that's also why like so many queer people uh, gravitate towards divas and like mm-hmm. the pop girls, because if you're a woman in the entertainment industry, you're constantly having to, you know, get better, do better. You're never as good as your last out. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So we see that and we're like, one, I see a fe- like female confidence, feminine energy. And I'm like, that is power for me. And then I also see like, I see that you are having to convince the world that you deserve to take up space yeah. when you don't. Um, but it's just such a like, we see each other kind of vibe. Yeah. And um, 
of course, you mentioned Meg Stelter, <laughs> who is so amazing on the show and who, um, you know, like anytime I'm watching Hacks and someone walks into the room and it's a Meg Stalter scene, they go, oh, is that high gay? Is yes. that high gay? <laughs> That's high gay happy pride. Is yeah. Now, correct me as, if I'm wrong, but is... Is this her first professional acting gig? Was she brought on after High Gay? <laughs> no. So that happened after the first season, which was out, which okay, was so great okay. for that to go viral after the show was out. Because it feels like she was discovered from her TikTok. <laughs> well, she. I think. I think that's part of part of the situation because also the hacks creators did a really good job of like sourcing out talent that. Um, that was also very prevalent online, like Meg, myself, uh, uh, Caitlin Riley. I, I think that's her last name. Um, God. Um, she's also huge on TikTok. So I feel like they kind of like, you know, back in the day where people, I mean, not that they don't do this anymore, but when you'd go out to the comedy clubs and see like the fresh talent that was out there, um, they kind of like sourced it that way. But Meg, I mean, she she is one of those people that works truly every day. She's mm-hmm. ne- Her brain is never not going she when even when we hang out she's like what if we what if we did this what if you know and I love I love bits I love doing bits so like yeah being around her is just so fun but I do think that that definitely played a a role in you know Caleb being born because also you go on set like Meg was also in uh, Queer as Folk and even though in Hacks we've never like crossed paths in scenes together in Queer as Folk we did have a scene together and I was like and just thinking about the way it's filmed and the way she just gives improv and improv and improv. Yeah. I'm like, good luck cutting this down because I would <laughs> want to use every single one of these takes. We are currently experiencing like all this representation, this positivity, these huge steps forward for our community. Yep. And at the same exact time, the mm-hmm. Supreme Court is stripping away rights, mm-hmm. um, stripping away human rights, constitutional rights. The conservative far right is like on the fucking war path. Yep. And it's so obvious that it has nothing to do about the issues that they're fighting it's all to do about power. And mm-hmm. all I, I mean, the reason why I'm so full of rage with this Supreme Court uh, mm-hmm. attack on human and constitutional rights yeah. is that it doesn't feel like it's actually has anything to do with preserving life or whatever fucking facade yeah. they're using. It feels like it's just a huge statement to say, you think that straight white cis men aren't in power anymore? Well, we're going to show you yeah. just how in power we still are. It feels like yeah. a fucking, like... Uh, it's like them swinging their dicks around and yeah. it's so aggravating and the people who fall for it and support it because they think these people are upholding Christian values. These people right. are the number one people who <laughs> wouldn't do, who aren't living as good Christians. You know, these yeah. people are constantly being caught doing mm-hmm. horrible things. But so many people have fallen for the facade that here we are, constitutional rights are getting stripped away and it's just like, it's kind it makes you feel crazy to be yeah. living in this time where we're taking such steps forward in one direction and huge steps backward in another direction well yeah so, it's like it's like tale as old as time like when it comes to um when we show oh when we sh- 
it's time to take my prep, everybody. <laughs> um, it's one of those things where it's like, no matter, you know, the more you are in the light, the more you shine, the more they're going to try and tell you, like, to put you in your place. Because as as long as like humanity's, uh, you know, been around, there's always like this ranking system or this hierarchy of like we make the rules we do this and then when there's people that come out and are like no actually i think we all deserve a fair shot or we do all deserve rights they're like now hold on a second that's not that we didn't leave that conversation so it's like them taking the power back like you said like i it's funny i was um that was such a fucking <laughs> tv show bit because i'm watching you have like this intense like I can see you having these revelations and and expressing yourself and my yeah. I couldn't get my fucking computer to um connect to my headphones because my phone went off to tell me that it's time to take prep and ruined everything. It is their way of showing that they have the power, that it's their way of putting us in our place. Like, it's funny, I uploaded this video of me dancing in front of protesters, ho holding up a sign that said, homo sex is sin, you're going to hell. They were saying the darndest things. And I'm just dancing in front of them, mm -hmm. having a gay old time. And people will comment and say, well, now I see why they need the signs. Well, now I see why people hate you. And I'm like, oh, us just living in our life, in our joy, is enough to disrupt your ability to understand that this world is not just for you. Yeah. This world is for us too. And so it's great. You know, it's like one of those things where they, we, we talk back. It's like, you know, they think that they're the parents and we, they rule over us. And it's like, that's not how it works. We actually deserve just as much space as you do. Um, and I think the more that they see us, the more they have to remind us that they're in charge even though we know that that's not actually true. Yeah. And, oh God, the two things that stand out to me the most um, are, yeah, it's like, here's people protesting, telling us we're going to go to hell. We yeah. have the audacity of countering that with, with joy, <laughs> yeah. with, like, being silly, like, trying to show this doesn't affect me because right. what you're doing is ridiculous. So... <laughs> I'm going to be ridiculous, you know? Yeah. Um, and then you do get people saying like, well, you shouldn't be doing that because you're <laughs> egging them on or, or they have their like, right to protest. It's like, I will never understand this mentality where yeah. it's like, where, okay, so we live in this country where everyone has the right to express themselves and everyone has the right to believe what they believe. But when someone's beliefs or self-expression directly like mm -hmm. tries to limit the the expression and um uh v validation of another group of people right. shouldn't our whole thing be to stop that like shouldn't you be allowed to express yourself and believe whatever you believe as long as it's not infringing on someone else's constitutional rights to believe what they believe in right like if your form of self-expression and your form of belief directly yeah. inhibits or tries to remove someone else's, I just feel like, isn't it a no-brainer that that shouldn't be a thing in this country yeah. that prides itself on everyone having the same rights? Yeah. And in the same vein, it's like just the hypocrisy of it all. Like, um, like these people 
clamoring and screaming that we deserve our voices heard. Yeah. And it's like, but you are directly trying to take my voice away. Like, right. it, and it also just... that's to say that your voice has never been heard. I mean, your voice has been heard <laughs> since the beginning of this country. We have heard your part of the situation. Now we're saying it's not enough for us. Like, I feel like this country has done the best PR campaign. Like, you know, you see a commercial yeah. like visit Vegas like, I feel like the United States has done such a great job of, like, a PR push to why our country is the best. Meanwhile, systematically oppressing most of the population that lives in the country. Uh, and and that, that even includes um, disenfranchised poor white people as well. Yeah. Because that's the thing. Also, they, like, use uh, disenfranchised, uh, disenfranchised poor white people, and then they put them against, like, people of color, trans people, uh, you know, gay people, and they're like... But they're sitting back like, yep, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's their fault. It's that person's fault. So it's hard to not point fingers, obviously, because we all do have like a vote. We do, you know, have a voice in this country. But it, you really have to kind of take a step back sometimes and be like, oh, we're actually just feeding the power structures that already exist and have existed. Um, and it's, it's just sometimes it feels overwhelming to try and, you know, look at the bright side and, you know, come together as a people, get stronger together. It is hard sometimes to do that when you know that you do your best in your everyday life, especially as a queer person, especially as a very marginalized uh, person to know I have the empathy for people. Why don't they have that empathy yeah. for me as well? And women, you know, like women, people with uteruses, like it just boils my blood like today I almost tweeted which I didn't because I sometimes I like get in trouble but I'm like for any for, I could never imagine thinking that I had the power to have an opinion on anyone else's bodily functions what they do with their lives who would they go like who am I to think that I have a right to that opinion yeah or that to voice it at least it's yeah I mean and again I think it's uh, this is the upside to the queer community having such high standards for itself. You know, like I grew up in a very, very queer friendly, very liberal, progressive part of the country, Portland, Oregon. And oh, yeah. I just like from the moment I came out, I I was taught like, you know, just everything that we uphold <laughs> in our community, you know, representation, making sure everyone's accounted for accessibility, um, free agency, you know, like, mm -hmm. and so now I'm so far in that way of thinking that I can't mm -hmm. even wrap my mind around the idea. <laughs> and I mean, so it's kind of a privilege, but it's also like, I don't even know how to speak to certain people because if you are someone who believes that yeah. because of a book that was written thousands of years ago, that you have the yeah. right to tell everyone else what to do, my brain can't even fathom that. I don't even know how yeah. to like form words for that person. It feels like talking... It, it, it feels like trying to <laughs> does not compute with like a cave person, honestly. Yeah. And it is, I mean, it is. And you have to like, I always try and remember like a lot of these people with these, uh, like this ideology or this understanding of the way that the world works and the way that they see it comes from a place of not being around people like mm -hmm. us or people of different walks of life or cultures. Like I remember when I moved to New York city, I was like, holy, it was like a kaleidoscope of just, different 
you know, and I, I grew up in Miami, which isn't, you know, I mean, it's very heavily, uh, you know, has a lot of Hispanic people, a lot of Latinos. So I knew that side, but I didn't know the other side of like, you know, black people that weren't Dominican or Cuban and, you know, what that felt like to be in this country, women, you know, it's just, so knowing those people being in those spaces really taught me how to talk about it, care for people like that. Whereas some of, some of these people never leave their, you know, four acres, um, you know, and not, I'm not, to, not to bash people that don't live in cities. I think it's important for people to spread out, <laughs> but we can only spread out where we feel safe. And, you know, a lot of times you, you aren't met with that, which is why I love shows like where we're here, where they like go yeah. out into the world and like have these conversations that are really, really tough for people. But that's the only way that we get to a level playing field where we're not like queer people aren't always meeting them where they are. And they're starting to finally meet us where we are. Yeah. Um, well, so it's, yeah. we have more tools than ever before to accomplish yeah. that, you know, with the internet, with, with, you know, the ever expanding like globalization of things. We have the tools to take that big step forward, but people have to want to, you know? So you said, I think you said it best, like queer people are always having to meet Mm -hmm. them on their playing field, even when it's not safe for us, even when it's not comfortable. So how do we encourage how do we encourage people to come to our playing field and just like, you know, just spend an afternoon there, you know, have a yeah. rosé, <laughs> have right. brunch and, and just like come be a tourist. You know, that's kind of what I love about Provincetown. Yeah. It's this like, um, you know, it's this queer Mecca in the evening. It's just all queer dance parties and drag yeah. shows and cabaret. And then during the day is when um, uh, basically the straight families come into the town and sightsee yes. and see drag queens walking down the street <laughs> and see us in our natural habitat. And there's a little bit of like, you know, there is mm-hmm. a little bit of spectating, like you're going to a zoo and seeing <laughs> these yeah. um, specimen interact with each other. But it is also how like, it is how these straight families are seeing us as human beings and as people and as totally. fun, loving, joyful people rather than what they might be, you know, seeing in their other walks of life where. On their Facebooks. <laughs> on their Facebooks. And yeah, from their racist Aunt Karen's <laughs> rant post, you know. Right. So. We, but that's the thing, like once. And that's why I feel like representation and media is so mm-hmm, important, because. Mm-hmm. Especially when queer people specifically are on reality TV, like doing docu-series, and also when when queer actors are playing queer characters, because I always used to say, like, people used to walk, watch Brokeback Mountain, and while it was a great movie, it is a great movie, knowing that Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal go home to women, people don't have to understand that that's that's a gay person. They're like, oh, they take that off. It's a character. So when I come on screen and I am very much openly gay and people have a connection with me or they like my character or they're like, oh, that's Wilson from Hacks. They know that Johnny, the actor, goes home. Well, not right now, but like usually (laughs) goes home to a man or, you know, so they they humanize you because they know you. They know you in the way that they, the only way that they know how. And the same, same thing with drag. Like when, 
when these people, when moms go to shows and see a drag brunch or something like that, and it's not a space for everyone to go to, but that is such a great entry point for some people to be like, oh, I love this person. I don't even know them, but I love them. And then they can go, you know, that's why it's always like when, when people are like, oh, I have a gay friend. And it's like, so I always see it as very sweet because you can tell that they're they're really trying to to meet you where you are, mm-hmm. like we were saying, you know, and obviously there's, you know, <laughs> there's a spectrum of like, <laughs> girl, come get with it. But I, I would rather that than someone say, get that shit off of my TV. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there's just, there's just so much there. There's so much we're talking about. We're just scratching the surface and I'm so grateful for this conversation we had because um, we got to celebrate you as an actor, but we've also talked about the many reasons why representation is so important. And it's more than just, it's more than just having more queer characters. It's more than just giving queer people work. It's also that this is, especially with our media-driven culture, this is one of the best most far-reaching tools that we have to change people's minds is yep. telling our stories, us telling our stories. And and even when it's straight writers writing a queer role, when they bring in a queer actor to play that role, that mm-hmm. queer actor is able to bring authenticity to that role, be able to correct language <laughs> that yeah. maybe the straight writers didn't realize was not the correct term or the correct yeah. uh, language or... Uh, whatever you know yeah. it's so important and it's more than just it's more than just one thing it's so yeah. many things all at once so congratulations to you and thank you to you for being thank one you. of those people and if i ever write a pilot and we need our go-to hunky <laughs> <laughs> like we need our leading man um, what's it linda belcher one of my favorite <laughs> lines she has is um it's in the first season of bob's burgers uh, a burglar <laughs> comes in and ends up being part of their dinner theater show and the, the detective <laughs> the next day is asking for a description and Linda Belcher goes write down that he was leading man <laughs> handsome <laughs> I just love that line <laughs> Johnny I am so grateful and thankful to you being my guest today. I had so much fun. I have some compulsory questions that I ask yeah. every guest, um, which I'm about to ask you. But first, why don't you tell my listeners where they can find you on social media? Um, they know they can watch you on Hacks, Queer as Folk, um, many, many things. But anything you want to plug, any social media tags, you got to get in there right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just my name. Uh, Johnny Sibley. I made a very conscious effort of just leaving it as my name when I first started. So that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Johnny, these are my compulsory questions. Answer them however you feel. Um, First question, who is your celebrity crush today? I said, even before you said crush, (laughs) I had a feeling where it was going. It's always Ricky Martin, which is is very weird because people are like, oh, you kind of look like him. And I'm like, (laughs) Mm, do I just want to say <laughs> very gay, very gay. Um, yeah, Ricky. 
Ricky. Ricky. Um, oh, I I, lo- I answer this question every day, too, just because I'm a horny slut, and I hadn't even <laughs> thought of my answer for today. Oh, what am I watching right now? <laughs> Who do I want to pay? <laughs> um, I haven't got an answer right now, so I'm going to say the character Junkrat from Overwatch. <laughs> oh, my God. He's Australian. He's he's a bad boy. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm gearing up for my my next tour in Australia, and I've been telling all oh. my sisters. They're like, uh, uh, <laughs> this has been my joke for all my fellow drag queens. But I have COVID right now, so I had to cancel my Pride gigs this weekend. And yeah. um, I just keep saying, silver lining is I'll have an immunity window when I go to Australia where everyone's hung and everyone's barefoot. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, we'll oh, see if that makes it into the episode. Okay, next question. <laughs> next question is, are you spiritual? I am spiritual. Um, I grew up, you know like in a Christian household and I've learned to understand what spirituality means to me. Um, and yeah, I am very spiritual. I, I, you know, I don't pray, but I do, I do pray. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Like I'm not like on the edge of my bed, you know, saying things, but I do. I'm constantly praying for something. (laughs) Well, mantras are very powerful things. Right. Words do have power. Um, Mm -hmm. Whether you refer to it as praying or reciting a mantra or casting a spell. Manifesting. Manifesting. Secreting. Final question is, what is your go-to karaoke song? Ooh, my go-to character. Okay, if, if if I'm with a group that like is is down for like maybe seeing like a little vocal situation, <laughs> it is um, uh, Elton John, your song. Mm. Um, but if I know that it's just like a drunk situation and no one's taking it as seriously as yeah, I am, yeah, 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 <laughs> it's probably gonna be like an In Sync or uh, Nicki Minaj. Yeah, that is What's so. Yours? Well, I mean, like, same. First of all, same. If I go to karaoke with other musical theater nerds, I'm going to want to show off. You know, (laughs) we don't care how obnoxious it is that we're, like, taking over the karaoke bar to practice our audition pieces. But, um... So if I'm with other people who get it, you know, I'm going to go the Elton John route because you inspired me. Um, My go-to Elton John is um, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Oh, Um, so good. But if I'm with uh, friends who don't give a shit, it's probably going to be Creep is always a crowd pleaser. Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, And I oftentimes bring down the house doing... um, me and Bobby McGee as Janis Joplin, like in her in her voice. So. Oh my god, I could see that. Oh my god, I would like to see that actually. Yeah, many many a time have I drunkenly <laughs> screeched out me and Bobby McGee, and now that I don't drink, it's kind of like um, there's always that question: Can I still access those parts of myself <laughs> that usually only come out when I'm wasted? But yeah. Um, but luckily, there's still I'm California sober, so I've still got access to my edibles. I <laughs> <laughs> will help for sure. Thank you so much, Johnny, for being my guest today. 
Anytime. Anytime. <laughs> and thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. I don't have my retainer in right now, and it's causing me to... <laughs> I, I I feel like I sound a little bit like Drew Barrymore. <laughs> you can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more. Hi, Jinx. <laughs> M. Oh. M. Mom. To listen to Hi Jinx one day early and ad free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts, executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio. <laughs>